Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, it's Akira in Anime Slumberland. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, or as I prefer to be called out from a very large distance, Thomas! And uh, I am here uh, without my co-host, unfortunately. Um, behind the scenes, everybody, uh, we had a lot of difficulty with this episode technically uh, from uh, just a lot of breaking up on Adam's end. He was going to be on this episode. We have at least a bit of recording of him that we attempted to have on the show. Uh, but unfortunately, it just got to be pretty bad and Adam couldn't continue uh, given just how much he was breaking up. So he had to bail. But... I am not alone here, because we do have a special guest returning to the show. Uh, he is flying in here on his uh, little bed that somehow is up in the sky. Uh, we have Mr. Tori DePina. Welcome back, Tori. I'm the new host now, and I come with a flying bed paid by all of your hard-earned Patreon dollars. A hard-given Patreon dollars. Thank you. Now I'm the new host. Adam's gone forever. Anyways, thank you for having you me. him <laughs> in your giant Tetsuo. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm a giant bed of gore and in and, and cloth, but uh, yes, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me again. Oh, no problem, man. And of uh, of course, uh, we invited you on here uh, for this particular episode, which uh, we are covering uh, for Revember as Revember finishes off. It's the last episode of Revember, everybody, where, where we revisit topics that we've previously done on the show, which our patrons voted on. Uh, which was anime films, which we did previously where we covered a Ghost in the Shell and Pokemon the first movie. And uh, Adam and I aren't huge experts, as we mentioned on our previous anime episode. Uh, but Tori, uh, by default, you are far more expert than either of us were, so we decided to invite you on here for it. Yeah, I'm pretty much a basic bitch when it comes to this whole anime thing. Love the medium. Definitely like have my favorite series, movies, you name it. Uh, but not, not going to call myself a weeb, maybe a quarter a weeb, a queeb. Perhaps an otaku of some sort? Yeah, <laughs> sure, I'm an otaku at heart, sure, let's go with that one. I'm curious, Tori, uh, what sort of got you interested in anime? What was your uh, sort of bridge point to get invested into the world of Japanese animation? Visual style, uh, easy. Uh, the visual style just, you know, always grabbed my attention, which, you know, having a fully ADHD-ass brain... Uh, it's a good thing when something kind of grabs my attention and I can actually stay focused on it. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, no, the visual style for sure. Um, I'm not going to say like, oh, it's all about the visual style and the story and the characters are secondary, but in my head, as far as my attention span is concerned, it, it is <laughs> so. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely the style first and foremost. Yeah, um, I mean, for me, I, I I gave my whole like anime origin story in the previous episode. You can dig into the archives for that. But TLDR on that, um, I remember like having some kind of curiosity about anime, especially as Toonami became a thing. 
uh, when I was younger, and there just became a point where, like, oh, like, Cartoon Network turns into, like, an anime station, basically. So I tried getting invested in that, wasn't as big on it, but at the same time, I've still been able to get into, like, the Studio Ghibli movies and a few other um, directors. It's like, I do appreciate the style and everything, it is just a bit daunting, especially with, like, anime, anime series, where it's just like, oh, it's so extensive and long, and it feels like you can't really, like, jump in. Like, I remember trying to get into Dragon Ball, and it was always just like, oh, are they, like, fighting? Or are they, like, talking about they're about to fight for another couple episodes? I don't know if I'm as into this. <laughs> this seems very convoluted. Uh, but you were able to at least uh, invest a bit more into that because of the style. Dude, I just used to wake up early in the morning if for some reason Fox would play Samurai Pizza Cats, and I was all like, you know what? <laughs> I remember that, that fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know what? I like me some Japanimation, okay? Like, they're cats and they're delivering pizza. That, that, that perfectly grabs my attention. You know, all the stuff came afterwards. But uh, yeah, exactly. It all started with Samurai Pizza Cats. But, um, but yeah, no, exactly. It's like, it's not... It's not for everyone, you know what I mean? Not everyone's going to be all like, oh, man, did you watch all 300 plus episodes of Dragon Ball Z? Sometimes not. They just want to watch something that's like a 20 episode anime because it's like, you know, less convoluted, less bloated. You know what I mean? And, you know, some people just for some reason just don't get that. <laughs> they can't understand why. Yeah, really, the only anime series I've actually watched the whole way through, and it was because uh, my roommate in college at the time was uh, showing it to me, was Kill a Kill. Which, if you don't know, is this very interesting anime that's about um, basically sentient clothing, like yes. these, <laughs> and it, it, there's a lot of interesting weird factors to that. But it was fun anime for what it was, even though there's a lot of bizarre implications to that particular show. But yeah, at the same time, like it's a great style, and there's always like something interesting. But in particular, I think in film form, I've been able to get more into it just because I think I can stomach sort of that like aesthetic and style, and see a lot more variety in film form. Um, with that, and also, if you see a Studio Ghibli movie and don't have any kind of, like, welling up in your heart, uh, you're a monster, quite frankly. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Absolute monster, confirmed yeah. by Tori. <laughs> but let's get into the two features we are covering today, which are interestingly from the same studio, from uh, Tokyo Movie Shinsa, or TMS, as it's usually called, uh, which we didn't know until uh, Adam and I kind of, like, did some research on it. But um, the picks which we picked at the end of our last episode were my bad pick of Little Nemo in Slumberland and Adam's good pick of Akira. Uh, but first, let's get into the bad pick here of Little Nemo in Slumberland. The animated celebration of the year is on video cassette. Yippee! Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. Take off with a young explorer who must save the life of a noble king. Nemo, give me the royal scepter! Outmatch the power of a mighty monster. <laughs> and win the heart of a beautiful princess. No one's ever accepted a royal invitation in his underwear. <laughs> The Boston Globe proclaims Little Nemo to be a marvelous piece of fantasy. The Washington Post declares it impressively grand. A great film, writes the New York Post, while Newhouse newspapers call it an elegantly animated magic carpet ride. Oh, I haven't had this much fun in years! Neither have I! Take home the magic of Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland, just $24.95. Each video comes with a mail-in rebate worth $5 with purchases of Tropicana orange juice. Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland, coming soon wherever videos are sold. So, uh, Little Nemo in Slumberland uh, came out uh, July 15th, 1989 in Japan and August 21st, 1992 in the U.S. Um, and is uh, based on the comic strip by Windsor McKay, 
which you probably have seen some kind of form of this, which is like a little kid in a bed that's like flying around and there's like stars that smile and the moon. I remember it most, of course, from that one Simpsons episode where Homer suddenly is like in a dreamland where he goes up on his bed and stuff like it's like, oh, that's what we're referencing here. This old yeah, just, ass comic strip. Exactly. I, I never knew what the reference was either. I just kind of saw it as like, oh, this is a funny way of of something horrifying, like falling asleep at the wheel. But right. uh, but yeah, seeing this like uh, from the from the intro, I'm just like, I feel like I'm watching like every Disney movie ever or every trope of some sort of fantastical fantasy animated kids thingy that I've seen throughout my life. And I can't tell if this came before it or if it was like regurgitating a little bit of it. Like, I, I don't know. I just it was like, oh, it sure is Disney in here. Oh, it sure is that studio in here it sure is don bluth in here well i think that's a lot to do with the fact that uh just how you can tell from the directors here are masami hata and william hertz uh this wasn't just a japanese production um there's a huge story behind this movie that i'll truncate here at least for the intro where um the guy who ran tms whose name i believe is yutaka Fujioka, apologize if I mispronounced that, or any more Japanese names as we continue. Uh, but he was a producer who was frustrated by how limited Japanese animation was. Or basically, if you don't know, like, and this is me being like a novice to some degree on it, but with full animation, it's usually like certain key moments are drawn, especially back in the days of cell animation. Certain key moments were drawn, and then they would have what they're called uh, in betweener artists who would animate like the moments in between key frames. Uh, in apparently in Japan at this time, and in a lot of like the cheaper animation studios you get, like you know Hanna Barbera stuff like that, uh, they would just animate those keyframes. That's why it looks kind of jerky whenever they like move around uh, and stuff like that. So at, he was frustrated with the fact that there was such that kind of like limited animation was the big style at the time in like 1975 in Japan. So he decided like you know what I'm going to try and make a big Japanese co-production with a, the United States because like Disney was such a big thing and obviously influenced so much of anime. He went around managed to raise 4 million dollars and got a crew that would basically comprise of a lot of big Disney artists at the time and a lot of big uh, Japanese artists who would later go on to create uh, Studio Ghibli, like Hayao Miyazaki was involved in this movie for a bit, and he tried to get several different, like, American people involved that include, like, Chuck Jones and George Lucas, uh, Ray Bradbury wrote a draft of the script, um, certain key animators who would go on in, like, Pixar were involved with this, like, Brad Bird and uh, John Lasseter were uh, apparently vaguely involved in the production at certain points. Uh, a lot of big names of the past and future, including Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson, who are two of the nine old men Disney animators, like the original guys who worked on Snow White with Walt, were like consultants on the American side of production and everything. So I think what you're talking about in terms of that, like various different influences, this kind of feels like it's a weird mix of a gorgeously beautiful Studio Ghibli movie and every sort of Disney ripoff that would come out in like the eighties and nineties. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, it was an experience. I mean, like, I'm not going to say that even though I know this is a bad pick, I just thought it was, it's the most okayest uh, anime film I think I've ever seen to, to be frank. The music's fucking terrible. I, I just, oh, I don't know. So man. bad. Every single song is grating. <laughs> Every fucking song. Like, I was just like, man, they just like, it was, it was almost, uh, it was like great value Disney songs. You know what I mean? It was just 100%. like, hundred yeah. percent, man. Like, it's not even like, it's not even Walmart at this point. It's like, 
Wayfield Foods, I guess, or some some sort of local. Di- I don't know price rate. I don't know if anybody remember, knows what a price rate is, but uh, yeah, it was like you know we got you got you got Fruit Loops, we got ourselves Rainbow Circles, and this was the Rainbow Circles of musical scores, as far as I'm concerned, for like an animated movie. I was like, man, they didn't. I don't even think they really cared about the music in this. I, I think every bit of focus that went into this movie went into the animation because. I mean, for the most part, it is gorgeous as far as an animated film is concerned, is considering the it's like a joint venture between like basically two different uh, parts of the globe uh, coming together. Um, and it, it, the, the styles combine like beautifully like that. That's one thing I will give this film complete uh, and utter praise for. It, it's definitely the animation. Um, everything else, kind of like I said earlier, you know, it's everything else when it comes to anime, a lot of the times everything else is secondary. This is a big example of that <laughs> because <laughs> whether it's the music, the characters, the dialogue, <laughs> you know, any of that, uh, uh, it's almost in, 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 incomprehensible of what the hell's going on. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is just the fact that like with Little Nemo and Slumberland, which I, I've never been like, I never perused all of the, you know, Windsor McKay stuff, but like... I- I saw like a couple of comic strips and I'm like, okay, this makes sense in like a strip format where it's like, you just have like a couple of panels to portray like some kind of dream vision that works as opposed to when you try and have to make that into like a 90 minute movie, it just feels constantly just like I we're, we're kind of skipping around, especially I think the more they try and do plot focused stuff, like all the shit with like the scepter that has the magic words and stuff like that, the more I'm just like, I, I could not give less of a shit about any of this as opposed to like, in the opening, I think is like the best example of like how you could do this is like almost a short film is the bit where um, at the very beginning, Nemo's like bed starts like flying around like it does in the comic strips and everything. And then goes to the slumberland and it's all decayed and ruined. And then he goes into like a hole and then a train suddenly shows up behind him. That kind of stuff I think works where it's like this dream logic in a small contained vacuum as opposed to. You have to become my heir, and you have to do all this bullshit. It just feels like... I I don't know if I really give any kind of shit about this. Especially, like, that whole set piece where it's him doing the charm school and going through various different things. Just like, this isn't even creative. It's just like, he has to learn to dance or something. It's like, this isn't even, like, fun. Like, he should be, like, up in the air doing, like, traveling through the sky in his bed or some bullshit. Not this. This is lame. <laughs> And just recycles the same sequences over and over and over and over and over again. Um, but yeah, about the intro, the intro was probably the like that's the part that like really shows the potential in this movie. And, and I actually find it funny. I was like, um, uh, I was watching this with my girlfriend, and she's like, uh, this is kind of it feels like some Harry Potter shit's going on right now. Reminded her of um, what was it, the Chamber of Secrets opening scene with the car and everything, which was yes, with, with the flying car, which is funny since. Chris Columbus was one of the uh, I, one of the people who I guess one of numerous writers that did touch ups on the script. At least one of the ones that was credited amongst like exactly. hundreds of writers. It's like he's one of the ones that got credit. Yeah, and it's just like I wonder if that was his idea because it's like it kind of literally mirrors that that opening to um, uh, to Chamber of Secrets. But um, but yeah, it's like God, man. I, I saw his name and I'm just like, wait, how many writers were on this? Because it feels like you watch you watching this movie. I feel like. It, it wasn't just one person's vision as far as like the screenplay for this. Cause it's like, like what is a screenplay when it comes to watching this movie? You know what I mean? Y- so. You can tell you're kind of screwed when like during the very flat opening credits over the really lame, the first of many lame songs, um, they have the credit of like, I think it's like based on a screen concept by Ray Bradbury. 
like that's his credit (laughs) his estate gets like 50 cents for every single time that Tubi plays this they got a dollar 50 off the three of us which by the way Adam if you're listening we're so sorry you had to watch Nemo and you couldn't be on the episode (laughs) oh that poor soul that poor man but I mentioned Hayao Miyazaki worked on this earlier and Hayao Miyazaki, if you've, despite Studio Ghibli being, like, known for, like, oh, beautiful, gorgeous animation or whatever, um, he is, like, one of the most cynical bastards you you will ever hear talk about film. Um, and he called this the worst experience he ever had working on a movie. I can believe it. He is about as cynical when it comes to anime as far as production and animation as, like, any of these other animators who make like their own anime series are like, you know, like, like he compensates his cynicism co- compensates for like 90% of the horniness that's in this like medium, you know what I mean? So it's just like, he, he is that, he is that shining light of balance to this fucking medium <laughs> as far as anime is concerned. So when his cynical ass is telling you that this was the worst, I can guarantee fucking tea that I'll take that with not, not, not with a grain of salt. But like enough salt to kill, like I don't know, uh, a, a human, one human, a, a human me, put it that way. Enough salt to kill a human, or like fifty snails. <laughs> maybe, maybe fifty snails. Yeah, maybe that's a little more. One human isn't impressive, but fifty snails, yeah, it, it's. It, I, I, I believe that, you know, because what, what direction does this movie have? <laughs> there is no direction in this movie. The literally the only thing holding this together is just how beautiful the animation is. Maybe a couple of voice acting, uh, uh, performances. I will firmly disagree with you about like, this dub is terrible. <laughs> there are so many really like particularly like, um, Mickey Rooney is like clearly like, which to be fair, Mickey Rooney did this plenty of times, especially in the nineties. Just like, I'm not given a single shit about this. <laughs> No, he didn't give a shit, but he still felt more natural than, like, everybody else <laughs> as far as the casting is concerned. Because um, this is... Um... If I had one that I would say I preferred, it was probably, like, Rene Auberginois as the professor guy, the professor genius. I thought that was, like, I... probably the best voice performance of, like, the dub. But that's not saying a lot, necessarily. It's, it's really not saying a lot, because, like, every line I, I hear from him, it's just, like, cringe. I don't care who was voicing him at that point. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, God forbid, <laughs> God forbid it's Odo uh, uh, performing these, these fucking or, or voicing these awful fucking lines. I mean, this, 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 this dialogue is awful. Like, as far as writing is concerned for this movie, that it's just like, you know, I'm a professor and I'm a genius. Call me Professor Genius. I was like, oh, shut the fuck up. We are we are scraping the bottom of the Disney barrel with these names and with these motivations. I mean, to be <laughs> fair, I would say that's more the case with like they have a couple animal sidekicks that show up in this. One is the flying squirrel Icarus, who has like an annoying chipmunk voice. He has like it's like Meatwad on helium, like like that type of shit. I have no idea if that character is at all in the comic strips, but it feels so much like a Disney invention kind of thing. It's like, we need an animal sidekick. Yeah, you have to have an animal sidekick. Yeah, we don't need that when we have like a bunch of goofy fucking like dream characters and it also breaks the reality because it's just like wait nemo is not as like of our reality but he has like a flying squirrel friend who kind of talks what <laughs> what's going yeah, on it's, 
we we need a uh, we need an animal character, okay? Like, uh, what what can we do? Uh, listen, I just finished watching the, the the rescuers. Oh, okay, let's let's make him like a, a mouse. No, man, let's make him a squirrel, a chipmunk. Well, I, I think it's more like Rocky and Bullwinkle because it's a flying squirrel specifically. Ah, oh, jeez, I'm not that old, man. Oof, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> it's it's very much, um, yeah, it feels like that. But also the those weird transforming like possum guys that show up like at the very end of this movie, like the last fifteen minutes, they meet up with a bunch of like morphing possum like creatures who are just like have the most annoying like Muppet style voices where they're just like, "Hey, everybody, let's go with Nemo" or whatever. I'm like, "Oh God, get these fuckers out of here." Yeah, it's just like, I, I'm surprised I didn't speak in rhyme. Like, that was the, the thing that I was like, you know what, at least you didn't do that. I kind of like those guys, though, because I was like, oh, you know what, compared to everybody who is just like, just stiff as a fucking board, man, as far as like, personality and charisma is concerned, they they decide to wait until like the last like 20 minutes of the movie. Oh, yeah, let's introduce characters that have any like actual like charisma or, or, or you know, uh, uh, chemistry together. Because it's not any of the main characters. It's not Mickey Rooney's <laughs> character. What's his name? Flop or Flip or some shit? Yeah, Flip, flip the yeah. Flip the I have too much fun, therefore I have a big bounty on my head clown. Yeah, it's, it, you were talking before earlier about like vocal performances. I feel like everybody minus um, uh, uh, the kid was okay. I think his name's like something Damon or whatever. I thought Gabriel uh, Damon. His, yes. Gabriel Damon. I thought his performance was okay. You know, Mickey Rooney's was all right, but I mean, he's just being Mickey Rooney. Like nobody was really, you know, reaching deep down as far as like vocal performances. Um, I thought the princess was terrible. I, th- I thought it was shit. Um, yeah, the, the, for the to... record, Gabriel Damon trivia has a bit of voiceover experience in that he was the voice of Littlefoot. In the yeah, before time. some would say the best foot, uh, the the best foot, the the best voice. <laughs> Put for your little best foot. little foot forward, yes. <laughs> Put your best little foot forward, yeah. Uh, depending on if you ever watch anything, and I and I shit you not, there is actually a Land Before Time YouTube community that continuously talk about the movies and the 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 unlimited, the never ending sequels that will come out straight to DVD. But uh, but yeah, um, as far as like vocal performances go, I, I, I funny enough, the best voice actors are the ones who are like in the background. <laughs> they have like maybe one line, like Nancy Cartwright. I didn't hear her the entire fucking movie, but I guess she was in this too. Yeah, there, there's a couple of like Michael Gao apparently plays like one of the teachers during like that big. Um, charm school montage and shit like that there's there's quite a few people there tress mcneil tress mcneil was also one of those yes for sure yeah. uh but i guess in t- to go back to like what you were talking about with the animation i do agree that i think like the animation is so like fluid and beautiful in a way that like you know i mentioned earlier the limited animation was a lot more common um with the uh, japanese animated films at this time but i i that's at least like can kind of like work stylistically if you do it right um, yeah. Here, I do agree that, like, I think the the animation is like very fluid and gorgeous, but at the same time, it does kind of feel like, but this was all for this, like whatever this is necessarily. It feels kind of like a bummer because I would love the idea of sort of like, oh, the the meshing of styles between Japan and uh, the United States kind of like coming together for this movie, and I think that makes this a unique object. But at the same time, it is still just like, oh, but it was all for whatever the fuck this is. And it feels just like the less that the actual animation styles clash as much as just like the storytelling sensibilities where you can tell once again, that um, the producer of Fujioka was just like, I want to make a full on like American style Disney movie. And it's like, you, 
you don't really need that. Like, we we have, like, the Disney era over here. The whole appeal of anime is that we can have something kind of different. And it's like, when you have someone who's, like, so expert at doing another kind of animation trying to copy that kind of style, I think it really shows how, like, just, quite frankly, dull it can get at certain points in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that this guy's ambition like began and ended with i want to combine both styles together in one film like it, it, it's like a very small pea-sized level of ambition like like john affnett would be proud of such ambition of just like the ambition stops with half an idea you just end up with something that's okay like this is the you know i mentioned john affnett five seconds ago this is like the righteous kill of mesh of, of 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 clashing animation styles you know it's just like we can do it we're gonna do it we're gonna forget about everything else though we don't need plot we don't need characters worth the shit uh we don't need good music but we have great animation and that's all you're gonna care about and i, I don't know i mean like i said it, it, i'm making fun of it a lot obviously um you know just for the you know the sake of, of, of talking about it but you know like i said it was an okay film like i can you know obviously this strikes a chord with people it's a bit of a cult film now um very highly regarded especially when i was going on imdb afterwards i did not expect it to be in the sevens uh, for sure as far as like receptions concerned so clearly this like struck a chord with people um when it came out and later as it was being discovered through home media um but i i don't see it unfortunately i, I, I don't see it i mean if yeah if, if this was something you've enjoyed in your childhood i don't, I don't want to you know throw trash over it or anything i don't want to be that guy i just it did nothing for me like it did a smidge for me well call me the trash man because i'm gonna dump trash all over it <laughs> oh no <laughs> not the trash man uh not, not necessarily no um i i guess yeah i could see how like if you watch this when you were younger i could see that or even if i had watched this when i was young i could see maybe having some kind of nostalgic tie to it necessarily um, but it's, it still is like, I, I, at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if I liked this when I was younger and then revisited it as an adult and would be like, oh, wow, this doesn't hold up nearly as well as I thought it did, which is a shame because like that happens with a lot of like the movies from around this time that are even like stateside with like, you know, like this, I mentioned like Swan Princess earlier, some of these other things and like, I was like, oh, these are like the best movies. I love them so much. And then watching them again when you're an adult, sometimes it doesn't hold up necessarily. And that might be the yeah. case. With Little Nemo, to some degree. Um, but at the same time, there still is, like, some, you know, magical remnants. You can see, I think, some of the, some of these elements that, like, really work. Like, I think particularly um, that that opening where basically he, like, goes through, uh, like, where he's flying around. And then um, he goes down a tunnel and he goes into, uh, like, and it feels like there's a train following him. And then he, especially the bit where, like, he goes into his house as the train's following him. And he's trying to call his mom, but his mom won't turn around. Like, I was half expecting her to turn around. She just says, like, no face. Basically, like, it'd be a really fucked up nightmare sequence. Um, but like, there are, like, moments like that, I think, work at its best. When, once again, this movie isn't focusing on the plot. Like that, or even, like, near the end, they have this, like, villain who shows up. The Nightmare King. Who you see as, like, two stagnant eyes throughout most of it. And then he shows up, and he's a fucking ripoff of Chernabog. Very clearly. The, the actual chase that happens and all the machinations that are there, like the, the, the actual whole sequence, the way it's animated, looks gorgeous. Even though it's once again in service of just like, I'm the big bad nightmare king and I'm gonna fuck you up, kids. I wish he said that, but no. I wish they did more like focus on stuff that was like 
you know, oh, this is like a dreamland. You only got like little sprinkles of it. Like uh, like when they first walk through like the uh, the I don't want to say like the cave or whatever, like the tomb that's holding the Nightmare King or whatever, like how it initially begins with uh, or one of the beginning shots is like them on top of a. Uh, the ceiling with like the table on the ceiling like on some like inception type shit where it just kind of like everything is still kind of like staying stationary even if it's upside down like even like right. m- small shit like that i could appreciate because i was like oh yeah this is stuff that i've seen in like other movies that have like revolved around you know the concept of dreams and just weird shit happening but they really didn't do that all it was was just like hey it's another disney-like fantasy land that you can go to that's in your dreams and I'm like, I feel like there's more interesting shit that you could do if you're going to center around like the concept of dreams. Um, even even if you are like merely adapting a comic strip, I, I feel like you can add your own ideas to it. You know what I mean? Or add something that gives it a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more sizzle than what the final product ended up being, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you're at all curious about sort of uh, an anime movie that has like a lot of that kind of dream logic stuff to it, um, we'll do be doing some recommendations later, but I would firmly recommend right here Paprika, which is an amazing movie that kind of deals with a lot of those elements and might have been a bit of an influence on Mr. Christopher Nolan because there's a lot of Inception stuff in there. Maybe. Just a little bit. Maybe. I would say if I were to do dream sequences, it's not one of my recommendations because I really wasn't thinking about it, but um, I would say a lot of the Animatrix does a really good job of that as far as like yes. virtual reality or just dream sequences in general. Uh, pretty much all the... Uh, I'm trying to remember the, what the name of the story was, but one where it's like all the kids going through the building and they're seeing all the Matrix glitchy shit or whatever. Yes. That gives me more of like dream-like uh, a feel to like something that's done with like Japanese animation as opposed to here where it's once again, you know, hey, Disney. Right, but also anime at the same time. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's why I would definitely say like this is not something that I would just completely dismiss because I think it's just fascinating once again as like a weird object, because I can't think of many other examples of like a Japanese US co-production like this. Like I know certain Japanese animators would like go over and like work in like uh, US animation studios or even vice versa. But it's rare that you get like this big a collaboration. It feels like it's like one of the few times that ever happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it probably you no. Know, and maybe it'll happen down the line. I don't see a reason as to why. People would probably want that now unless there's like some big money happening uh, behind it or someone really wants to like, you know, co-op or co-produce anything. I, I personally don't see it. I don't think any company in Japan wants to do that. And I don't think anybody in the uh, in, in the States wants to really do that right now. So, yeah, the closest you'll get is stuff like, hey, Studio Ghibli, us at Disney are going to hire you to make a Baby Yoda short for like three minutes. And it's like, well. I mean, if we need that to finance Hayao Miyazaki's uh, How Do I Live, like, get the finishing funds for that, fuck it, sure, we'll fucking make a, a dumb Baby Yoda short. Yeah, man, make a Baby Yoda series and get more money. No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, they just did that. They did that short, which basically feels like uh, an animation production studio logo more than it does an animated short. And it's like, whatever, fine. Yeah, get, get your bag, Studio G Blue from Disney. Get yeah. it. That's fine. That'll work. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Tori, any final thoughts on Little Nemo and Slumberland before we move on to our next feature? I'd encourage people to go see it just because it is an interesting idea that it got made in the first place, despite all the weird production shit it went through. Um, I'd say if you're like big into animation like me, 
love to see contrasting styles and just love to see good animation in general. Um, and you can kind of just accept that and kind of just kind of deal with everything else that comes with it. That's not as good. <laughs> this would be like something that you at least watch once, you know what I mean? Um, but no, nah, it's, it's, it just was an okay. anime. it was, it was the okayest anime film I think I've ever seen. So, yeah. Um, I would probably say, I would probably be a bit harsher if nothing else, because I was a lot more bored during this. I think that's another reason why I don't know if I would have loved this as a kid. Cause there are so many stretches where I'm like, ah, what's, what's going I don't give a shit. Like there's nothing really exciting going on here. So I don't really give a shit about what's going on. Um, so I don't know if I would have been as consistently invested at least in what was going on here um, as a kid. But at the same time, uh, for, for what it is, I think it's a curiosity, if nothing else. If you have like uh, an interest in sort of like the history of animation, and especially like whether it be anime or, you know, Western animation, seeing the sort of combination here where you have, like I said, like so many big, massive people from like various different you know sides of the world like collaborating together for this movie it's a very unique style that feels like it's just that that weird in between between anime and the u.s and i think it's fascinating for that um but if you have any other like wants of the movie necessarily i think you're going to be severely uninterested in what's going on here and god try mute during those fucking songs i can't emphasize enough we mentioned it earlier but the songs written by the sherman brothers who did various disney songs like mary poppins wrote these fucking songs on their toilet paper basically this is like some of their worst work possible they like had a bottle of like frank's like like frank's hot sauce and like some damp napkins and then just drizzled like maybe a quarter of a chorus and thought you know what let's just record what we have spilled frank's hot sauce on which again spilled on wet napkin uh and we're gonna bring this to we're, we're just gonna give them this we're, that's that's all we're gonna give them you know and it's just like yeah i can i i can see it like man nobody gave like they did not give a shit about this fucking music no whatsoever just like i don't know the, the we will give you the bare necessities of this song and not the actual bare necessities song just like the barest possible minimum for what constitutes a song <laughs> God, it's like when they say it's a musical film. I'm like, is it though? Is it? It's four shitty songs during an hour and a half animated film. Really musical at all. Most of which aren't sung by characters in the actual movie. Really? No. At all. No. They're just played in the background, basically. Uh, well, let's get into a much more celebrated and beloved anime film here for our good pick, Akira. Neo Tokyo is about to explode. Streamline Pictures presents a state-of-the-art adventure, Akira.
So Akira came out uh, July 16th, 1988 uh, in Japan um, and is from uh, the director and co-writer uh, is Katsurio Otomo, uh, who was apparently the guy who also created the manga that this was based on. And Akira is one of those ones where even if I wasn't a huge like anime person, I had been familiar with uh, Akira for quite a while. I had heard like, oh, this is like one of the best anime films possible whatsoever. And back in college, I was a part of um, the on-campus movie theater programming. And we would have these certain nights where we would all like, um, like it would be closed down and we would just have like all of the programmers uh, have a movie marathon that happened like once a year. And uh, one of the times we did that, um, we decided like, you know what? The, the rights to this movie are so weird, we'll never be able to show it. So screw it, let's just watch it in the big movie theater, Akira. And it was the first time I ever saw it, and I was like, this is an amazing movie. I love seeing it on a big screen. Um, but I'm curious, Tori, uh, when did you first experience Akira? Um, I mean, I knew about Akira just from seeing like it being referenced through like just random uh, TV shows or other animated uh, series or basically anything I'd see on TV has like referenced this. I mean, we even had movies that have referenced it. Like for instance, Nope this year does a literal visual reference to it <laughs> with, uh, with the, with the scene with the motorcycle slide. Hell, even the dark Knight's done it. Like it's definitely influential from like a stylistic uh, uh, sense as far as what people have done in like in action movies uh, uh, with it. Um, the first time though, I've seen, I saw Akira, I was 15, uh, because this was back when on demand was just becoming a new thing. And, uh, basically like Comcast had this thing where it's just like, we'll have these limited on demand movies. This is like pre-streaming in general. Um, and I remember, uh, seeing it there and I remember watching it and I was like, holy shit. And it was, uh, thankfully they used the 2001 dub, which is the one I saw. I'm not sure about the one you had seen. Uh, yes, it was the 2001 dub, because I, I've seen clips of the 80s dub, and that was, woof, yeah. that's a really bad dub. <laughs> I have yet to see a single scene from the streamline Wally Burr recording 1989 dub. So much talent with this 2001 dub from people that I'm just familiar with from just being anime voice actors, from Johnny Young Bosch to Joshua Seth, Wendy Lee, uh, Bob Buckholtz, uh, Michelle Ruff, like so much fucking talent was in this. And, and it shows even with some of the awkward line deliveries, uh, they still nail it. But as far as like the film itself, like the, the obviously the things that struck me were like this, the visual style, the violence, uh, all the like the cyberpunk aesthetics, um, even the stuff that like basically it's like, oh, kind of like this, like not almost like fascist government, but obviously this government that is in like disarray the 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 frustration from the people that are building up as a result that you're seeing through multiple protests so it's like this overly oppressive government somebody who wants to literally like like literally like military coups stuff like that like it's just a blender of all that shit and you're just getting it just like pushed right in front of your face you know what i mean like fuck subtlety this movie might as well be called fuck subtlety because it, it, it doesn't need it for, for this two-hour experience that you get seeing this. Um, and, you know, I saw it a couple times afterwards. I, I remember seeing it like 08, 09, when they were uh, heavily promoting the idea of a U.S. version starring Leonardo DiCaprio, which, funny enough, around that same time, they were pushing a Cowboy Bebop starring Keanu Reeves. So we, we were heavy trying to Americanize a lot of this shit in the 2000s. Well, yeah, I remember there have been like so many different versions of that. Uh, they attempted live action American remake. I think 
Keanu was also attached to that at some point. I believe it. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me necessarily. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned earlier, uh, we really don't need that because one, Nope did that so perfectly with that one Akira like fucking motorcycle slide that yeah. um, Kiki Palmer does. It's like, that's all we wanted to see. And he did it great. So don't even bother. <laughs> we don't need yeah, a whole we movie. Yeah. We, don't, we do not need it whatsoever. And two, yeah, this movie I think is so fascinating for like this one, despite being TMS as well, who, like I mentioned, the guy wanted to like, who ran TMS wanted to go over to the US to get full animation. This animation is so much more full than you would get from a lot of like anime movies from around this time. And I think a big part of that is that they like really increased the budget for this because like this manga was apparently so popular and they got various different production like studios and companies all to come together to form the Akira Committee, which is like even credited in the actual credits. It's like, no, we're pulling all our resources together to make a movie that cost 1.2 billion yen, which was very expensive for the time for an anime movie, but it really pays off because the animation is so gorgeously fluid and just so incredible to watch. And even with, like you mentioned, like the 2001 dub works really well with it because the animation is so expressive, but at the same time, the lip movements aren't specific enough to where you like need necessarily like the exact words in J Japanese to be portrayed with that because like it's so stylistically like fanciful and big and massive that it's like i don't know they could be saying like any different language and it kind of works pretty much i mean i would say my one criticism and this is this is specific to the um english dub and probably for the 1989 version as well is that i was speaking with when we when Adam was still with us uh, before the tragedy happened, before the tragedy of uh, his auto-tune uh, happened, um, we were we were talking about the English dub. And my, my, I guess my one criticism is that this is an issue that I have with a lot of um, English dubs. And this is not me being all sub versus dub. I, I honestly couldn't give a shit. Um, I've had plenty of great subs, plenty of great dubs um, that I've seen in my life. But... I wish sometimes English dialogue or English adaptations didn't take away from the subtlety of the movie sometimes. Like I just, I'll point to one scene that's still fresh in my mind is when the nurse is bringing the medicine for Tetsuo down the hallway and she walks in and obviously Tetsuo is not there. Uh, she runs out and I, and I have, mind you, I have the English subtitles for as if I was watching the Japanese dub. Um, she runs down the hallway and the subtitle says, there's a problem. Da, 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 da. And, and meanwhile, in the English dub, it's like, the patient's gone. It's, he's disappeared. He ran away. And I'm like, okay, no shit. I can see it. <laughs> like, I yeah. can see what you're what, what's going on. You're not running out because, you know, he's there and he just murdered people because you probably wouldn't be alive right now. You wouldn't be able to run out that room. And I feel like a lot of my only real criticism I have is just what I have with any real uh, English dub is that sometimes just stick with the original dialogue you know even if you're trying to like fill time be, or, or match the flaps as much as, as people really like to do what production companies like to do don't don't ruin the subtlety of a scene though <laughs> you know well, especially but, the worst is when they like add in lines that don't even like where normally if you like watch the sub version like no one's talking they'll have yeah. like in the u.s dub like people just suddenly speak like oh my god What's going on over there? What's happening? What? 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 And it's like, guys, we don't need that. <laughs> we don't need any of that shit. Yeah, like there, even the one scene where um one of the bikers when when Yamagata and I, I forgot the other friend's name are walking in on uh uh Tetsuo um taking the pills after he killed the bartender and destroyed the bar. You know, they 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 clearly were, and this is the guy who voicing Yamagata is Michael Lindsay. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, 
he has that line where he's like, you look like a goddamn crackhead. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Which to his credit, actually, you know, I was complaining earlier about it, but I was like, you know what? He does. That actually works. I, I don't know. Like, what, what can I, what can one say about Akira that hasn't been said already? Like, honestly. Well, I think what I can at least say is that, like, I really do. I think this movie's great. And I like seeing it a second time. I enjoyed it like just as much as previously. I will say, I think, I don't know if it's maybe like you can probably follow sort of the story that happens where it's basically just about like in this dystopian future, uh, yeah. we follow like a bunch of like these biker gang kids who eventually encounter like these scientific experiments that have been going on with like these young kids who look like old baby men. Basically. Old baby wrinkly baby man. After a certain point, like I have no idea what the fuck is honestly going on with that ending, where whatever Tetsuo becomes a giant blob creature. But at the same time, uh, it's fucking terrifying and it's engaging. So like I don't have to like know necessarily what's going on. But I would say if there's a weakness for me, is <laughs> that it just goes into like from a very sort of followable cyberpunk story into weird surreal territory that I'm not sure what's necessarily going on. It's like almost becomes like 2001 by the end too, that like Tetsuo was like the universe now, I guess like, sure. Okay. Whatever. I don't know, but he's Dr. Manhattan. He's going to create his own universe of, of, of Cronenberg looking mutants that have special super psychic powers and, uh, you know, just keep developing more and more fleshy mass as time goes along. Seems better than the fucking snowflake that just falls into Kaneda's hands at the end of the movie. Because <laughs> for every time I remember the first time I watched that, I was just like, wait, is that going to be like a, a tiny like bean baby fetus looking thing? I was expecting to see that, but then it just turned, it just disappeared. And I was just like, oh, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to be that, uh, uh, that disgusting or that <laughs> weird. Uh, as opposed to everything else we've seen throughout this two-hour epic. No, what would but, what would give you that impression with this movie? That's like very like you know this is like a, all the kids can enjoy Akira. <laughs> There's no like terrifying imagery at all by the end of this. No, and uh, and it also very pro woman in this fucking movie. <laughs> oh my god, I I forget like one of the things that makes me sad about this movie is just like. They just beat the shit out of Kaoru so badly in this movie. Yeah. Oh, Kaori, sorry. Uh, Kaori. I, I, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. I was just like, this is like almost like Frank Miller levels of just like, we just hate women. That's one thing, the one big criticism I have of this fucking movie, because it's just like, ah, uh, you know, we just got to beat the shit out of the most important female character. Well, second most important female character in this movie. And that's just her character. Her character is that. She gets beat repeatedly. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, because <laughs> like, at least with um the other one, uh, Kay, I believe, is her name. She at least seems yeah. like she's very dominant. Like, I love there's that whole scene where, like, she, like, I guess she's kind of possessed by one of the alien creatures at this point. But she goes on yeah. that big tirade about, like, oh, what if universes were, like, inside systems and stuff like that, whatever. And Kaneda <laughs> is such a big, like, himbo dummy where he's just like, what's up with all the big talk all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah we're talking about the universe i don't know i just want sex and bikes bikes and sex bex if you will yes yeah you're talking about the stars and the genes and stuff what i like about that though is the fact that like in any other situation i think if an american remake ever happened of this they would lose this element it's like you can tell we're dealing with like children like that's the thing it's like these kids actually feel like, oh, they are, like, maybe, I don't know, like, 15 at the oldest. And they feel like they are just kids who are not supervised to any degree. And they're going out, like, the, the particular, like, all the people in the biker, even Tetsuo has that 
but like where he feels like he's superior, but in the way of like a 15 year old would think he would be. Kind of yeah. just like whenever he's around like his love interest, who I do agree they just like screw around with the entire time. He is very much just like a nobody understands me. I'm much better than this. And I think that adds to sort of like the terror of it. It feels like this is sort of like, oh, it's like a kid playing with a gun. Only in this case, it's like, oh, it's a kid who has these horrific powers that are unimaginable. That he ultimately cannot control. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just like, which leads to him becoming a whole blob of Cronenberg at the end. You're just watching and it's just like every moment from this movie is the best part about it is just like it just keeps getting worse and you got no choice you're just watching all the chaos unfold and it's just like you're seeing governments fall you're seeing people die you're seeing religious wackadoos be religious wackadoos <laughs> it's just like just just the the, the gaggle of idiots like behind him because they think like he's their god that has come to smite the non-believers from their fucking world and then their dumbasses end up uh, falling into the water and getting like crushed by debris and shit and it's just like oh yeah it's all come full circle everybody gets their comeuppance seemingly enough on uh, except for the the military fascist guy you know or excuse me the martial law military strong leader stereotype that you've seen in any anime that has any sort of like geopolitical overtone you know what i mean apparently nothing happens to him but you know everybody else oh yeah you're uh uh, you're getting your comeuppance for whatever you did because <laughs> that's what this film is it's just chaos yeah, but I do love the fact that with the, within that chaos, you do sort of build up an interesting world that's going on here. Like, I like elements like that, uh, where you see, like, the religious uh, sort of people that suddenly pop up, like, worshipping Akira and all this other stuff. But it feels like we are living in a chaotic world, like, from the start. It just feels like this world is like there are no real laws, despite whatever cops that are actually around. There's, like, no consistent law and order. It's just craziness and madness, and that's what these kids are living in. So, like, fuck it. Let's just become, like, weird biker gang guys that just zoom along in the amazing, like, any of the bike sequences in this movie look so fucking good. Like, especially when they're, like, even just racing down, like, the highway. It looks like you feel, like, all that speed and all of that adrenaline, but also all that, like, unbridled like, unsupervised kids just like, what the fuck are you doing? Get off the bike! Well, you t- you're gonna, like, crash and fuck yourself up! Just this fucking, it's just, like, teenage... Thank God this movie isn't angsty. I'm glad that there's no teenage... Well, actually, you know what? I, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm gonna stop you right there. Tetsuo is super angsty. <laughs> he's 100%. He's pure <laughs> angst incarnate. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. I, I, I was saying about the other characters. I, I actually, you know what? I'm just gonna fully say it. Fuck it, I'm wrong there. Um, there is. It's just. It's just teenage anger, angst, uh, horniness, everything you expect from teens, even in this like fucked up as a time as it was. What's it set like the year 2019? You know, right. I think we came. I think yeah. <laughs> Imagine right. Um, you know, we kind of came out. Uh, we came out ahead. I think we came out ahead in 2019 before you know the real chaos happened. Yeah, I do also love the weird fucked up element of, like, given this came out in in Japan on July 16th, 1988, that's when they established that, like, the uh, huge bomb hit that destroyed uh, Japan. And I just would love to be, like, somebody who went to the theater on July, on opening day, and saw just, yep. like, that pop up, and then a giant explosion happens. <laughs> just like, guess what, today, everything gets fucked. And, and, and 30-something years later, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> 
Japan. You know, it's funny because it's like all this crazy shit's happening in Japan, like in this in this world that we we see in this movie, man. And what the fuck is happening everywhere else? That's that's to me is the scary part. You know, the thing I love about this movie is that um, ultimately it doesn't like tie up any like I won't say ties up anything as far as like uh, it leaves you asking questions. It leaves you wondering for more. It doesn't tell you how the sausages get made. You get little glimpses here and there, but you don't get like you don't get answers. And you're kind of like, you know what? I'm glad I don't because it was two hours of just brutal fucking violence man like this shit's bananas like every time you watch it this shit's bananas like you'll notice one different thing that you didn't notice from the last time because everything is so frenetic everything is so chaotic that you're just like you know what i'm glad it leaves me asking for more questions to answers i don't ever want to hear or don't ever want to fucking know it does such a great job especially with just like the small details that are going on here like i love those that weird fantasy sequence where you see like the little it's the bear the rabbit in the car um, that's like doom, the doom, doom. three kids, like yeah, um, basically like projecting in on Tetsuo's uh, hospital room, and then you see them like in a big form, and it's like oh, you can see all the various different like elements because it's like oh, these like this bear is made up of like various different stuffed animals in like their actual room where they are and where they're like telecommunicating from, and I just love that you can see like all those little details on there. It's as horrific as it is. It's like you can see that like so much detail went to like either that or when Tetsuo becomes massive giant blob creature, like every little like thing that's like reaching out has like some bit of character to it. Yeah, yeah. Characters I hope to you don't want to know the names of you don't want to know anything because, man, that fucking blob, dude, like it's never going to not be impressive when you see that shit. Like when you when you just see everything happening. Even down to, unfortunately, Kaori's a, a, a unfortunate fate to where I was just like, you know, God damn, I have, man, there are character, there are points where characters just get keep getting beat down and keep getting beat down and there's never like a comeuppance or resolution or anything where it's just like, you know what, everything's coming up Millhouse. Nope, nothing comes up Millhouse for Kari in this movie at all. I just feel like the need of pointing that out because it's just like, man, who was animating this and just thought, man, we really just hate this one particular character so much that we're just going to keep doing what we do to her the entire time. Yeah, she's very much sort of like the butt monkey of this movie where she gets constantly screwed over all the way to like that death is like so horrific, too, where you just hear a snap and then like her little section that she's stuck in of Tetsuo just becomes blood red. And that's, like, yeah. everything you need, which is, like, that's... oh, that's really fucked up. And I, I like that element, too, that, like, for a blob creature, like, usually we would get, like, the blob kind of thing where it's, like, oh, someone, like, dissolves, basically becomes a part of Tetsuo. But it's, like, no, you just get crushed. It's yeah, just, like, get, a giant yeah. mass of flesh crushes you, and you become blood and bones. That was the death when I first saw this movie that stuck with me the most. I had, like, literal nightmares about that shit because it's just, like, it's... Like that to me is like horrifying. Like that is the most horrifying. It's just the, the being crushed like that. Like, holy shit. Like that's the image that sticks with me every time when I think of Akira. It doesn't, it, I wish it was the stylized action of the, it was, no, it was the stuff that terrified me, that chilled me, that 
fucked with me and that's that fucked with 15 year old me yeah and b- but what i like at the same time is that it doesn't feel like because i think this has been a problem with certain other like not even just anime but other like adult animation as it were like animation that's just not for kids quote unquote is like how often that happens and it feels like oh this is like fucked up in an edgelordy kind of way it's like you feel a palpable sense of horror that feels appropriate for this like sci-fi horror story like it feels like we have been building up to this like horrific point where this kid who you know is just trying to like who is has is full of angst and has all this power that he can't control it's literally gotten to the point where like during all of that the fact that uh, tetsuo was constantly saying like help me somebody help me my body's doing something i don't want it to do all this other stuff that makes it way more upsetting but also at the same time much more sort of like character focused instead of just like yeah this is edgy look we fucking killed her in that fucked up it's like, no, it just fits for the story. <laughs> hey, listen, hey, listen. Todd McFarlane fucking wishes, okay? All these, like, people that come out and do this, like, edgy bullshit. It's like, no, this actually had meaning to it. Any edgy bullshit that you get from this movie, there's there's fucking meaning to it. It wasn't just like, we put this there just to put that there. You know what I mean? And it's almost like what... Tetsuo was kind of, like, making fun of that aesthetic because he's just like, oh, you know what would be really cool if I'm going to go out here and I'm going to have my powers and, like, see this, like, giant tank that's about to crush me? Let me get part of this fucking uh, banner and I'm going to make a cape because I'm cool because I'm 15 and I want to be a superhero. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually feels real as opposed to, like, you know, when somebody, like, triple his age is, like, doing that through his stupid fucking comic book. But, but yeah, um, you know, that that's 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 the thing about this film. It's just like motherfuckers have tried. They'll recreate, they'll copy, but it will lack the depth that this film has with any of its iconic scenes, iconic animation, um, just the overall scope of the fucking movie in general. Like it's been duplicated, but it hasn't quite hit the spot like this film uh, continues to do with like with me, at least in every fucking viewing. And I've seen this film. I think this tonight was like the fifth time I've seen this and, you know, still in awe and can't say that about a lot of movies. Can't even say that about a lot of animated movies, even animated movies I like. So, you know, this is like literally like, you know, it's one of the greatest animated films of all time. (laughs) You know, that's 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 to me, that's like selling it short because it's it's fucking Akita. Yeah, and I mean, it, it also helps that, like, this feels like it's definitely a great example of um, the that kind of argument that I hear a lot of sort of the animation is not a genre, it's an, a medium, which I agree with. Like, Brad Bird said that, like, on a Remember the Incredibles commentary. And I mm-hmm. agree with that sentiment because, like, you don't need to just make, like, you know, a, a fuzzy Disney movie like they did with Little Nemo, for example. You can use animation to ju- tell whatever story, potentially. That could be, like, a drama or, in this case, like, a sci-fi action horror movie. Uh, in its own right like you can make something that like because it's anime doesn't mean immediately it's for kids but at the same time you don't have to go all the way over into the side of like oh yeah this ain't your kids cartoon like the one I think of and I talked about this I think the last anime episode that we did is Ninja Scroll in terms of that for anime movies where it's so much like, oh, isn't this fucked up? We're, like, sexually assaulting women, and we're murdering people, and there's so much blood. And this ain't Astro Boy. It's like, I get it. Fucking calm down. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah, yeah. When, he, when Yeah, and that's, that's the thing where it comes to, like, stuff like 
like i i it's been such a long time i saw i think i saw ninja scroll one fucking time but it is definitely guilty of that bullshit oh my god yeah because because at the end of the day that's like that's the problem with this like fucking like when it comes to like anime and you know i i know people like oh it's a medium not a genre i mean it kind of is man because like like i was making the joke about earlier about miyazaki being like having the cynicism to balance out the horniness of all these motherfuckers that are doing this (laughs) this type of shit it's like you know there there's a reason for all that you know what i mean it's just like it's because it's because it's fucking ridiculous sometimes when you watch this shit you know between you watch something like akita and then you watch ninja scroll afterwards it's like you know what (laughs) there's a reason why people have like the aversions that they have to the point where they think anime is just a fucking genre (laughs) because like it's such a contrast between something that's very serious and just beyond creative and something that's just like we want to just be cool and stupid and horny and, and edgy and all that other bullshit without any of the heart. But you'll like it anyway because it's got style, you know, which, hey, this genre, this, this, this medium gets by a lot on that. So, but thankfully, not the case with Akira. No, yeah. So uh, we've t- been talking quite a bit about Akira. So any final thoughts to sum up about Akira, Tori? It's a classic. It's amazing. Um, it will never not be amazing. There, at least see it once. You know, even if you don't like the medium, even if you think anime is dumb, which I don't blame you, go for it. You know, uh, watch it at least once. You know, uh, watch it over Captain Nemo and his Dreamland sequence of bullshit. You know he's not I mean? a captain. He's just little. How dare yeah. you besmirch Captain Nemo's name? He I... runs the Nautilus, sir. How dare I? <laughs> You're absolutely right. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. Captain Nemo, fictional character from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I did not mean to offend. But yeah, um, it, what, it, like I said, I, I said it earlier, like what more can be said about, um, about Akira? But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. Well, I'll at least try to say something else here, which is to say, I do agree that I think like it's an incredible movie. It, it's definitely one where like, if you're not even in, to anime that much it's definitely one that i would recommend watching because it kind of transcends that there's still a lot of like fascinating elements like we didn't even talk about a lot of stuff with um the government uh scientists that are like experimenting like i love the um dr onishi's uh little uh, like uh, wave machine thing that shows just like how the balance of the universe and that's like early cg in animation uh which like looks incredible and still like works perfectly for this movie um, but yeah, like a lot of those elements were like, I, like I said earlier, I think it goes off the rails at a certain point during the ending and it's kind of hard to like follow necessarily what's going on. But what you're seeing is so visually striking that I don't think it necessarily matters as much. You still feel the terror and that palpableness of just the fact that, like I said, it's a movie that's about like a bunch of kids who feel like kids who are in the middle of like this horrific situation where one of them gets massive powers they can't control that literally causes their body to morph and transform into something otherworldly and i find that it's like that's so a palpable relatable fear no matter like what culture you're from or anything like that this is just like an upsetting but fascinating sort of like cyberpunk story that at the same time all that horrific stuff is going on it looks really fucking dope exactly it looks really fucking dope and as for those as for those last 20 minutes i mean come on man they're just showing off that's that's the whole point that's all they're doing (laughs) that's the budget (laughs) uh but that is the end of us talking about our two movies, though we have our weekly segment we like to do here called The Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. 
double, 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 uh, basically, uh, where we recommend a good movie related to the topic and then uh, steer you away from a bad one related to the topic. So for the world of anime, uh, I'll start with my picks. So uh, for my good pick, I have a movie called Wolf Children, uh, which is uh, from uh, director Mamoru Hosada, uh, who is a great anime director who I've watched a couple of his movies. He also did stuff like uh, The Boy and the Beast and um, Biari, and um, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. I also worked a lot on Digimon, for all of you out there uh, who actually managed to watch that <laughs> um, in the States when it transferred over. And basically, Wolf Children is this very slice-of-life kind of story that's about this young girl who, in college, uh, falls in love with a man who, she finds out, transforms into a wolf, so is a very much a werewolf type of creature, but still wants to make the relationship work, and the two of them, you know, uh, get married, have a couple kids, and tragically, um, he ends up dying uh, when the kids, I believe, they're about either about to be born, or like when they're very young. You know, now she has to be a single mother and raise these two wolf children, who are like these adorable little kids that have like little, like, you know, uh, wolf ears and they have like the tails and stuff like that. So they act both like children and puppies simultaneously. There's an adorable quality to that. But there's also just this like really endearing, heartwarming story just about like being a single mother caught in the tragedy of like your husband dies and you have to like raise these two kids on your own. You never would have anticipated that, especially for like a young couple who got together and like, oh, we have our whole lives ahead of us. And it's like, no, man, sometimes you got to face the realities that like that can sometimes the those great people in your life can leave you and you have to like kind of keep going on without them. And especially adding on the element, of course, like, oh, this is like such like unknown territory. How can I cover it with like two werewolf babies? Basically, um, they managed to make it work in a way where like I had heard about this movie before I saw it. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like some dumb furry shit. Right. I was like joking around about that. I was in tears by the end of Wolf Children. It is a beautiful movie that has like so much heart and joy and love in it that I just would firmly recommend to anybody, regardless, once again, if you're not a huge anime person. This guy's work in general, I think, is incredible. Um, the, the director, Hosada's. Um, and then my bad pick is uh, one that was... Uh, it's interesting, because this is kind of like a weird like CG sort of cell-shading animation style that was done for this... A uh, movie that was uh, produced by Toho as part of a collaboration with Netflix. It was the first of three anime films to feature the King of the Monsters himself, Godzilla, which I'm a big fan of. I love me some Godzilla, if you've heard me in the past. I've literally watched every fucking Godzilla movie. Uh, except for, um, I will say, the other two in the series, because uh, the first one, Godzilla Planet of the Monsters, is my bad pick. And I was not a huge fan of it. I like aspects of it. I think because the basically the story is human civilization has left Earth due to just like an overrun of like basically like kaiju and a bunch of other horrible problems that have taken place that basically make Earth uninhabitable. So there's been like a couple generations that have lived in space on like a space station who are just saying like, okay, now let's go back to Earth and see what it's like now that like basically kaiju have taken over. Follows a team that's exploring Earth and seeing what the remnants of Earth have been. And I like that idea and concept. I think that could work, especially if you did it maybe as like an actual like Godzilla feature. That could be interesting. But in this particular form, I'm not a huge fan of the animation style. This like weird CG cell shading thing. I think it looks like very awkward and stilted. It looks kind of almost like video gamey. 
And uh, by the time, like, just a big problem as well. Like, if you complained about, like, the American Godzilla movie not having enough Godzilla in it, Godzilla does not show up literally until, like, the end of this particular movie. And I just found it to be kind of, like, um, almost a turnoff to me. We're just like, oh, great. We're finally getting Godzilla. It's, like, the very end of your movie, like, a mountain-sized Godzilla. And... That's what this was all leading up to. Whatever. There's there's some interesting stuff. Like you can see remnants of Godzilla around. Like you can see almost like how the Earth has like uh, changed to his sort of like DNA structure and stuff like that, which is fascinating. And I like some of those elements. I'm sure maybe they explore some of those in those other two movies, which I'd heard very bad things about, so I didn't even bother with the other two that came out after this. But yeah, this feels just like more of a wasted opportunity, especially with Godzilla in anime form. That was like the big selling point. I was like, oh, I'm so excited for this. And uh, ended up being just kind of like a forgettable dud, especially for like a Godzilla movie. That's kind of criminal. So when it comes to the Godzilla movie, I have no clue. I've never seen that, that one. Um, sounds like the 2014 one, if it has the whole thing where it's like built up to Godzilla and he only appears at the end. But uh... Uh, as far as Wolf Children's concerned, Wolf Children is a very beautifully animated movie, very simple plot, uh, you know, nothing too complex, but it, it doesn't have to be. Um, it's very sweet. It's very uh, adorable. It's very sad. It, it just it hits you, you. You feel it in your chest every, when you see a film like that. You know what I mean? Anime can like any other like there's like there's sad porn movies. This thankfully is not some sad porn shit, which is what I fucking hate when it comes to any like you could be any medium as far as i'm concerned film animation you name it live action animation um but no wolf children's fucking great you should check it out so for my picks um my pick for good um i saw this when i was 11 years old uh it is the 2001 uh futuristic diesel punk drama uh that came out uh it was produced by studio madhouse uh directed by rentaro and uh, written by Katsuhiro Otomo. Uh, it is based on Usama Tezuka's 1949 manga called Metropolis, which is in part owes a little bit of its style to the 1927 Fritz Lang movie. But according to uh, Tezuka himself, he literally took the style from one still of the movie. He had never seen the whole, whole film. But basically it's um, a time where it's like in the future, uh, robots have essentially taken over or like use of robots and, and, and automation have taken over to the point where humans live in poverty where one uh, man who goes by the name of Duke Red is like a wealthy kind of like I want to say Elon Musk type but basically if Elon Musk gained power beyond Twitter um, and has a, 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 a robot created with humanoid basically like a humanoid robot kind of like a Pinocchio type of deal and um you know, she befriends somebody like befriends a, a fellow young boy who's the who's alongside his uncle, who's a detective. Um, and it's and it's 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 very visually striking, probably one of the most beautiful uh, anime films I've, or even beautiful animated films in general I've ever seen. Very depressing, but kind of like a secret of Nim kind of depressing. Uh, but it's so visually striking. Uh, the characters are beautiful um, as far as like their, how they're designed. Um, I mean, again, this is based on Tezuka who did, he's basically like the Walt Disney of, of manga, you know, like stuff like Astro Boy, uh, a lot of the classic anime from like the, or manga from like the fifties and sixties, you know, he was responsible for. And that style is bright and in your face when it comes to this film. Um, so that's definitely one to check out. Um, especially with uh, Studio Madhouse production. So you're definitely getting like 
the highest of quality when it comes to like animation um or japanese animation my bad pick in my opinion when it comes to like bad anime films even though we were trashing on uh the film earlier we were trashing on little nemo earlier to me like bad anime films are like ones that are like based off uh series uh so in my case my bad anime pick is not going to be the original two films that came out of the show digimon but the u.s butchering of uh the digimon uh quote-unquote digimon the first movie um came out october 6 2000 terrible film i didn't give a shit at the time because i was eight or nine years old and i was like hey digimon it's there but you know you watch it you watch it again as an adult and more of like a critical anime fan and it's just like butchered to death the voice acting sucks the edits are terrible they like force in american music like they have music cues where out of nowhere you start hearing uh uh the fat boy slim song that samples the rock him you know the funk soul brother check it out now like just random shit that just ages it because it was like from 1999 to 2000 just stupid choices like that uh that just make it like less enjoyable of, a, of an experience especially if you're a huge digimon fan like me but uh, yeah, that would be the bad one. Uh, check it out if you're a Digimon fan and you never saw it. Uh, it's an interesting watch, but uh, that would be my bad pick. Um, yeah, I have not seen either of these. I don't think Metropolis sounds interesting. I have not seen it. Digimon was one where like, I that was definitely an example where like, I as I talked about on the last anime episode about Pokemon, um, I got into Pokemon very deep, but Digimon and like Yu-Gi-Oh followed like very shortly after. And I was just like, I don't know if I'm, that was around where I'm just like, I don't know if I can really get into it. I, I will say the song is awesome. At least the American dub song, the Digimon Digital Monsters is oh, yeah. a fun song. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I never uh, got, I don't think I got deep enough to maybe I've seen the movie to some degree. I don't know. Because like I've seen vaguely bits and pieces of Digimon, but I never quite got enough into it to where I would have like really recognized or like wanted to see that in the theater necessarily. I do like the designs though of the Digimon. The Digimon look fun and they look very different from the mm -hmm. Pokemon aesthetics. The show was a lot better, I would say too, because like the Pokemon show was just kind of just like one long winding promotion for the products and the games. Uh, Digimon, I feel like Digimon came as like a, a show first. And then they kind of decided to do merchandising based off it because a lot of the throughout the four or five original seasons, uh, you know, there's a lot of good characterization, a lot of decent plot that you wouldn't expect from something that's more of like a kids uh, in anime for like, you know, younger kids, you know, you know, preteens or whatever. Um, so I would say if you ever want to binge it, you know, definitely check it out. Um, and as far as like the the movie, the the, the U.S. movie, I, I actually let me scratch what I said earlier. Fucking avoid it, please. Just watch the original shorts that they made out of the series. Uh, but yeah, that, that that would be it. Uh, but yeah, before we leave here, let's repeat our titles for everybody out there in case you might have missed them. Uh, for my good pick, I had Wolf Children, and for my bad, I had Godzilla: Planet of the Monsters. And uh, for my good pick, uh, the 2001 anime film Metropolis. And for my bad pick, the 2000 film Digimon, the first movie. Well, now we'll uh, go ahead and start getting to the exit of the show, but stick around as we do uh, our picking at the very end for next week's episode. Stay tuned for that. But uh, we want to thank some people. Uh, who have uh, helped us with the show, like Chris Oliver for his intro and outro music use for the show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Christian Thorlally for his artwork. Find him at Night of Water. That's night with a K underscore of underscore water. 
for more of his great stuff on various different socials. And thanks, of course, to our loyal Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash dedbpod. For just $1 a month, you all get to vote in polls for individual like topics we cover, like anime. You all chose that over there, so thank you, patrons. Uh, but you also get to uh, listen to bonus podcasts that we put out there at least one a month. And the one for November that would have already been put up as of right now is the latest edition of Television, in which uh, Adam and I... Uh, watch the first season of a show that we are, um, you know, we haven't seen before. That's recommended by the other person. So I recommended Adam watch the HBO Max show, The Rehearsal, and uh, Adam recommended me the Netflix slash YouTube originally show, uh, Cobra Kai. So you can, uh, if you pay the one dollar, you get to listen to that bonus episode as well as several hours of bonus content that we've released out there, uh, which uh, can only be accessed by our lovely patrons like Mr. Tori DePino over here, who, uh, of course, we also want to thank. Tori, thank you so much for being on the show and helping me out with this episode. Hey, hey, always happy to be here. Uh, but for more of us, find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook uh, at DEDBpod, while all those social media platforms are still here, especially Twitter. Um, which is still crumbling as of this recording every second. Um, and you can uh, submit feedback to us either there or over at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, for more of me, you can find me on Twitter and letterboxes at not the who's Tommy. I also do some writing at marianitomas.wordpress.com and at film-cred.com. And I just wanted to shout out, um, I was a guest recently on uh, the fellow Talk Film Society podcast at pod to be you which is hosted by Manish, who is a buddy of ours, been on the show previously. Um, and uh, I was on there to talk about uh, sort of the his part of his bad romance series, uh, where I went on and talked about Joe Wright's Atonement. It was a fun discussion, and that should be up around the time the same episode's also uh, popping up. Uh, so you can just look down the Talk Them Society feed and find the two of us there discussing that wonderful film. Um, and, uh, you can also follow Adam, of course, who's not here currently, but he's on Instagram at Atom or Adam, that's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M, or as Schwanson on Letterboxd's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. Um, and, uh, for more of us in general, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, you want to listen to all the other great shows that are on the network. Uh, you can also dig into the archives on our Podbean main feed for several episodes even before we joined Talk Film Society. And nothing else, if you can't support us on the Patreon, we get it. It can often be, money can often be tight. But, uh, you can help us out for free by simply rating, reviewing, or sharing the show around on whatever media platform that gets us more visibility, helps us with the algorithm out there. But now, it's time that we did our picking for next week's episode, which Am and I usually do at the end of every episode, where, um, you know, we have a good and bad pick that we have to decide out. So each of us has two, either two good or two bad. We switch up on the quality for that. And uh, we assign them between one and ten for each of those choices. So if one person says... Um, I'm going to pick number six for the other person's choices. It'll be like, okay, uh, that's closest to number eight, which has this particular movie as a choice. Um, and, you know, we do have this rule called the Godfather rule, which we're going to suspend here because Adam has his veto, but obviously he can't use it. So we're not going to be able to do that necessarily where he could have potentially vetoed one of my good choices for this. Uh, but that obviously won't be the case here as we do our picking for uh, next week, we'll be talking about Henson Company Productions, because Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is coming out on Netflix. 
So we figured, oh, let's dip back into the world of, uh, you know, the Henson Productions. I don't know. Tori, are you a fan of Muppets? You like Muppets and other things like the puppets and stuff from Jim Henson? You like them? What the hell's a Muppet? Oh, boy. I'll have to have a long conversation with Tori after this. But um, he'll be picking a number between 1 and 10. Uh, for both my choices and Adam's choices, he sent me his uh, after our little uh, fiasco of recording situations. Uh, so, uh, you know what, Tori, for my two good choices, please pick a number between 1 and 10. Yeah, I think the last time, every time I've, I've done this, I've always picked 7. I'll be like, lucky number 7, and some stupid shit like that. Um, so I'm going to use, uh, I'm going to go with number three. Okay. At number one, I have perhaps the number one, um, movie when everyone thinks of, uh, Jim Henson or Muppets or anything like that. A true classic of, uh, my childhood, many people's childhood. I have the original 1979, the Muppet movie. All right. Still don't know what a Muppet is. Let's go. <laughs> Well, maybe do some research and then listen to next week's episode, Terry, and you'll find out. Uh, but on the other side of things, I just wanted to mention, um, over at number eight, I had uh, the first of uh, only a couple Sesame Street movies, but one that I think is quite adorable in its own right. I have uh, Follow That Bird. You know what a Sesame Street creature is, right, Tori? Yeah, is this the one where uh, Big Bird's blue because he's sad and shit? Yes. Yes, oh my he's a God. bluebird. I cried when I was a kid when I fucking saw that. Everyone did. <laughs> if you didn't, oh, people thought you were going to grow up to be a serial killer. God damn, bluebird. Also, because he looked fucking cool when he was blue, even though he was sad. Because I was like, damn, he looks better then than he does, you know, happy. But, uh, but yeah, all right. Well, Tori, now for Adam's two bad choices, which I will say, everybody, uh, Adam told me, and I get it, uh, this was tough for him to find bad choices. So we're going off of, I guess, you know, some, I'll say at least one of these might not be the most popular choice for a bad pick, quote unquote. But I'm curious, uh, Tori, please pick number between one and ten. One and ten. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do five this time. Okay. So at number six, uh, Adam had one. This is the controversial one. So I'm very excited because I remember liking this movie. I still think I enjoy this one. But uh, he put labyrinth uh okay yeah interesting very interesting i know he he's talked to me off mic that he's not a huge fan of either that or dark crystal which i, I wouldn't be surprised by so but that'll be interesting at least that'll be a good night for me two movies i really like with labyrinth and the muppet movie uh but we'll be talking about that with him next time as we plan to uh though i will say over on the other side of things at number two he had one that i would definitely agree is like bottom of the barrel abysmal and i'm so glad we didn't get it uh he had the happy time murders yeah um i have a very morbid curiosity about seeing it because i've seen a couple of clips here and there and you know sue me i laughed uh but i feel like that's probably the best that i will get out of that movie so i haven't really gone out of my way to fucking see it uh, i i was interested in seeing as far as like an r-rated like jim henson style type of film but uh I just didn't think it was going to work, even from the trailer. Yeah, having uh, seen the full movie, uh, don't do that. Yeah. We recommend not doing that. Don't even buy... What I talked about earlier with like the sort of like, oh, edgelord bullshit with anime, that's the way it's like for, with fucking puppets. And it's mm. bad. It's so bad. It looks like a <laughs> bad yeah, so, Dennis Leary stand-up in a puppet movie. At least that's the vibe I perhaps. got. 
like bad yeah. crappy boston comedians <laughs> doing muppet movies it's like it's subpar crank yankers <laughs> which is saying a lot uh, <laughs> but you know that's uh, it for the episode so until next time everybody uh make sure to not cuddle up to every teddy bear you see they might be made of like various different elements and be very terrifying i wouldn't do it and juices <laughs>